Ephesians chapter number six and verse number four. We've been talking now for 10 straight weeks on exceed, how to not just meet your spouse's need, but exceed them. And we've been having a good time uh, with that. How many remember, who remembers what our lesson was on last week, six sleeps ago? How many of you remember what we talked about? No. Yes. Sorry. It was his need. His need for what? For everything. Okay. That was good. All right. Was it? There you go. Respect and admiration. Okay, good. Thank you very much. You didn't totally make me look bad in front of my old college roommate. So meeting his need for respect and admiration. Okay. So we talked about that. So we're going to flop this week as we always do over to her need. And so this is exceeding her need for family commitment, for being committed to the family. Let me say at the onset of this uh, class that I believe that we have a lot of guys um, that do this. The hobbies that you're into are centered around uh, your kids. You'll go out and buy uh, uh, you know, very expensive uh, race cars, but it's for the kids. It's all things are for the kids in order to be able to do things with them. So I want to say that I, I appreciate because I was looking at this lesson. I was thinking through our class and I thought, man, we've got a lot of, of men that do spend time with their kids that are committed towards uh, taking that step and taking that commitment. And I appreciate that because there's a lot of uh, dads that if the sports game is on, uh, they don't care. And honestly, on the, on the meter of sports, our class is very heavily not sports. Uh, very often I kind of have to uh, be, you know, find people to talk to sports about sometimes. Uh, but you guys are committed a lot to your family and to, to your children and to your marriage. And I appreciate that. As some of the ladies were saying last week, uh, you're committed towards bringing the Bible into your family and helping uh, to raise the kids in the word of God. And obviously having them in church every week is super important for that. Uh, the, one of the big things I, I take this on, I was looking at our class role. Our class role has uh, on it 67 people. Of those 67 people, there's only two of those that don't come at least once a month. So I consider them members of our class. So out of the, that 67 people that are on my class role, if we count and include the children, including those uh, that are expecting, there's 153 souls that our class has as part of this church. The reason why I look at that is because I think this all the time. If you miss church, I know it's not just you two missing church. You also are representative of two to about six kids. Our class is heavy on reproduction. So it's about, you know, our 5.7 or whatever is our uh, meeting, which is, it's great, man. So uh, we're fulfilling God's role there. Uh, but when you're out, there's also somebody else out. There's a, there's a teacher downstairs who's now missing a kid from their class or a teenager from their class or wherever else. So I, I want to take my, role respo- uh, my responsibility seriously because it's important for your kids to grow up consistently being in Sunday school, consistently under that influence of the Word of God. So there's a lot on, at stake, and dads, I say that in this, in this week because, dads, we need to set the tone in saying, Look, as a family, hey, we go to church. We find a way to go to church. If someone's sick, maybe one spouse stays home, the other one goes with the other kids. Um, I don't understand and I don't sign on to this thing. If one person's sick, then, then six people stay home. That doesn't make sense because the word of God is important and we need to get it into our life. And I realize that we might be heavy, heavy, heavy family, okay? But if a spouse can't go, the other spouse goes and takes the kids because we need to be there. And you might say, well, we sit down, we read the Bible at home, we go, 
it's not the same. Same reason why we do knock on someone's door and they say, oh, I don't have church. I just read the Bible to myself in my, in my house. There are certain things you wouldn't tell yourself if you just were your own, if you were your own pastor, right? Uh, there's certain things you want to understand from the Bible. You can only go as far as your knowledge goes. So let's make sure, men, let's lead in this. Let's have the family in church. If there's a bump in the road, if someone's sick, if we need to adjust schedules, that's fine. But we're going to make sure that every healthy body is in church as often as possible because that's part of fulfilling uh, our role. And I realize that maybe not everyone is on board there, but I'm praying that you get there. That's my desire because church is super important. It's super important. And having our, our kids grow up in that atmosphere is, is very important for their spiritual development, no matter how great uh, the home life can be. And it obviously should be good, and that's part of what our design here is. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 4 says this, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You know what's interesting sometimes? When the Bible deals with roles, it deals with things that that gender is more prone to. You're not going to find a place in the Bible where it tells the, the woman, hey, don't provoke or don't pick at your kids to make them angry at you. Why? Because wives are more nurturing and they don't do that. They won't do that. However, as guys, sometimes we're less patient. Sometimes we're more antagonistic, right? Uh, or we're more sarcastic or whatever else. And just know that sometimes that turned on your kids, as this verse says, will provoke them to wrath. And so the opposite of instead of what we're supposed to do instead is to bring them up and says right there in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It never tells a lady to be nurturing. Why? It's built into her already. Okay. Um, and so it does tell ladies to, to submit to their husbands. It does tell ladies to, uh, to learn from the elder ladies, right? So whenever you look at the Bible for roles, it doesn't just say, hey, mom, love the kids. Hey, dad, love the kids. That's the way we would write the Bible. But God knows what each, what each gender needs. And so guys, sometimes we need more nurture and admonitions. That would be a patient upbringing. So we're going to look at three things today that a good father needs. And again, I start off by saying, I believe that most fathers, most of the time, have most of these qualities in their life. So I thank you for that. I encourage that. And I want this series to be a help and a encouragement to further that end. Let's look at the first thing right here. It says, a good father must be a manager. A good father must be a manager. A good father must be a manager. Hey, still got two points left. So, no. Let me read you some statistics. Um, statistics. There we go. Uh, this is compiled by the Department of Justice. Now, whenever we're going to go read statistics of what fatherless homes look like, you already know that they're going to look bad. There's not a lot of statistics on motherless homes because most of the time the mother is there and she's willing to stay there. Uh, but sometimes guys are willing to bail. So uh, here's what's at stake, guys when we either are not present or we abstain from leading in our role in the house, okay? Facts compiled by the Department of Justice. 63% of youth, youth suicides are from a fatherless home. 90% of all homeless and runaway youths are from a fatherless home. 85% of children who exhibit behavioral disorders are from fatherless homes. 71% of high school dropouts are from fatherless homes. 70% of youth in state institutions are from fatherless homes. 75% of adolescent patients in substance abuse centers 
are from fatherless homes, and 85% of rapists motivated by displaced anger are from fatherless homes. It is very, very, very important, uh, obviously, that we have dads, and we know that, but if we're going to be in the home, then we need to be leading in these three areas. The first thing is being a manager. The Bible says this in Ephesians 5.23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Look, we talked about this last week. Any institution, though, okay? If it's this church, if it's a class, whatever, okay? Imagine what class would be like in here if every week we just said, ah, okay, so this week, uh, Josh, you're going to teach the class, and next week, you'll teach the class, and uh, Jones, in three weeks from now, you'll be the leader of the class. After that, Pete, you got the class in a month you just lead it and it just floats from person to person to person to person to person obviously we understand that any class company whatever needs someone who is forging the path and so for the household god says that the that the husband that the father is supposed to be the head of that house supposed to lead that house we talked last week that doesn't mean grabbing her by the hair and dragging her what that means though is it means passionately with nurture and admonition and love and respect to say all right for our family, we're going to do right uh, before God. So first talking point, and this can be for either, uh, either gender here. What does it mean to be a manager to you? What do you think that that means as far as it's related to our roles in the home with father and with uh, husband? What would that look like? Pastor says, don't bail him out. Just let it be awkward silence until someone starts talking. So I always practice it. Philip? Well, one thing I would say is that it's not about uh, demands made by the husband or the father in the home, but just to understand. Um, I guess for me, you know, I work a lot in Tuesdays on Wednesdays, but I think it's for me to know when I come home that I understand where everyone sits inside the home when I come home. Nice. Um, and to understand her. I guess understand what she went through throughout the day um, in, in the short term and then in the long term make sure that I have a discussion with her for the long term issues so it's not something that's just a, a decision made um, from the hit type thing. Okay. Um, I think back on my dad I think he did a lot of by example and in the morning he was always really good to make sure we all were up and um, we got devotions for this right way let my mom rest a lot of times because he knew she had been up um, doing chores and stuff at night because of the, like, they both worked in the church and everything like that. So he always made sure he let out right away in the morning. That is not a good start for the day. Kind of talk to us about what was expected of us that day. So you said a billion good things there. First off, setting the tone is, is huge. So guys, we need to set the tone and say, okay, for children, okay, here's, here's what expects, and this is what mother and I expect, right? And then following back up is true. That, that takes time, right? It takes time to discipline. It takes time to check on the homework. It takes time to uh, make sure that their grades are where they're at and things like that. It takes time, and, and a lot of you guys take a lot of really good time with that. 
So managing, when you look, when I, when you think of manager, I think of right, right away of, of, a, of a baseball manager. There, they have a lot of people that work under them, a lot of people with different departments. But if if the team's failing or whatever else, it's, it always runs back to on the manager. So you've got to know where you're at. How is our pitching staff going? Right? How is this going? How's our free agency going? All those other things. So guys, it's just constantly knowing what the temperature and the morale and the spiritual level of your house is, and knowing how to work your way through that. Sean. Absolutely. And this goes into what he's talking about here. So I, I liked what he said here because uh, we need to know both the strengths and weaknesses of those you manage. Uh, Pastor sometimes uses a phrase which I really like. And he says that most of the time people only really grow through friction. So when you're going through a hard time in your life or a hard spot in your life or frustrating or whatever, that's when you're more likely to grow because you're being challenged to something. Okay, so guys, it's on us sometimes to know where the spiritual temperature of our wife is or of our kids are or whatever and challenge them to be growing in that area. I'm going to give you two very uh, hit home personal examples. Okay, so a couple of years back, uh, I was talking to and this was before uh, before I was even married. I was talking to Donald about this and uh, he said that um, he they they had surrendered. Uh, to, to, you know, obviously to do God's will with his life. So he went to Erica and he said, hey, look, I need you to start taking piano lessons and learn how to play the piano because you're going to play the piano. And he, she goes, well, I don't really want to play the piano. He said, well, if we're going to go forward, do what God wants us to do. Like, and I need you to be able to. So like, I need you to start taking these lessons. So she said, all right, fine. I guess I'll start taking those lessons. So she did. And then now, fast forward a couple of years, she, she runs all the scheduling for us and she knows how to play and she plays well and she's still working on it, something she constantly works at. But if they were to go out and start a church tomorrow, uh, he would have that taken care of because uh, she, she can play the piano and that, that's obviously something important, music starting out from a church, okay? So he went and said, look, I want to challenge you in this area. If you could start to do this, a couple of, now it'll get more personal, uh, about a year and a half ago, and we'd only been married for... Uh, uh, about six months at this time, whatever, uh, I told my wife, no, we've been married for a year at this point. I told my wife, I said, I want you to uh, take over. Uh, it, was, it was changing hands. So I said, I want you to take over the nursery. And she said, I don't want to take over the nursery. And I said, I know you don't want to take over the nursery, but I think it will teach you how to lead women, right? In a, in a good way. So you're going to be put in a very, very frustrating situation. You're going to learn how to lead women. You're really going to grow as a leader yourself. And she said, I don't want to. I said, pray about it. And so a month later, she said, okay, I'm, I'm willing to do that. Now, I can tell you this. It's not been uh, fun. It has been growing, okay? But I've watched her grow now to where she's a lot better uh, communicating and helping and leading ladies and solving problems on that end. But I, I dropped her into a frustrating situation, and it has not been without frustrations and sometimes tears over the years and things like that uh, because it's not the easiest of departments to try to run and to always keep full. Uh, but she's done a very good job with that. But I wanted, I wanted her to take a certain step and say, okay, I want to challenge you in this area. Sometimes we're willing to just say, okay, what, you know, you do you and I'll do me or whatever. But guys, sometimes we also need to say, hey, this is an area in which I think that you need to grow. I need to grow. The kids need to grow. So here's what we're going to start doing in order to be able to grow. So therefore, you know, 
not only the strengths, like what your wife is really good at, but you might also know, here's some areas in which I think that she could grow and might need to grow and to help and to challenge in that. Now, how do you go about that? Well, guys, first off, you start out and you buy some very expensive flowers. Now, uh, I would say that you choose a time to have a sincere conversation and just say, hey, what do you think about this? I think that this is an area in which you could grow and it would turn out better for you and you would, you would you know, fulfill God's plan better or whatever, whatever, that sort of thing. And you say, man, it's a hard conversation to have. Yes, it's a hard conversation to have. I prayed about the conversation coming into the conversation. But once I had the conversation, to her credit, she said, you know what? I'll pray about that and we'll come back and see. She did. She felt it was something that God would have. And so she was willing to take that step. But for us to know both the strengths and the weaknesses, I hear all the time we're talking about, oh, my wife's good at this, my wife's good at good, 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 good. We would both say, though, that we want this marriage to help each other to be better. Is that true? Okay. Then every once in a while, then we need to be willing to have a conversation and say, hey, this is an area in which I think that you should grow. And wife, sometimes you might say, hey, husband, look, maybe in your patience or in your whatever else, I think this is an area where you, you could grow and you, you could do that. And the husband will say, you know what? I think you're right. Let me pray about that. And so always be willing to take something that your spouse says into consideration. And so we talk a lot about this class and like, oh, here's the 20 things that are great. It's great. It's great. It's great. But look, we're not perfect people. None of us are. Okay. And nobody knows that better than your spouse. And so don't be afraid to go to that person and say, hey, I think this is an area in which you could grow. Maybe I can grow as well. Let's take this challenge from God and go forward. Now, not as many amens there and mostly like sad and disturbed faces across the room. But I believe that if we're going to be a manager, then we need to be both encouraging strengths, amen, and we should, and then challenging and lifting up weaknesses because that makes that person better. And we'd all say in five years, I want to be a better spouse, I want to be a better Christian, I want to be a better mother, I want to be a better father, whatever it is, okay? You'll probably be better. And they always say this, you only grow as an adult by two things. Number one, the books you read, either financial books or character books or whatever, the books you read. Number two, the people that you meet. So you're only going to grow if you're challenged by an outside influence most of the time. So you need someone to come to you and say, hey, you should change this. That's what preaching is. Pastor sometimes gets pretty personal and says, hey, look, you should change this. You might sit down in a meeting and say, Here, here's what's going on. He says, well, hey, that's wrong. You need to turn that around. You say, get up from that meeting and throw the coffee in his face. You don't tell me what to do. I'm never going to change. That's fine. But if we want to change, we want to be better. Then it's either going to be through the books we read or the people that we meet. So if you're never reading any books, then I guess you better meet a lot of people then, all right? Because we all want to be better in certain areas. All right, I'll move on. Uh, B right there, exercise self-control. <coughs> exercise self-control. Um, love these two verses from the Bible. Um, just circle them to loop back at them later. I'll just give you one of them, though. Uh, Proverbs 16, 32, good verses, guys, to memorize. Guys, if any of you struggle with temper or patience... Memorize these two verses, put them into your head, write them somewhere, get them memorized in this week, okay? Because if you're a guy, you probably need to grow in patience and in temper. I know I do. Number, uh, first verse right there. He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh the city. So if you can have self-control, you are better, God says, than the mighty. He hath no rule over his spirit is like a city that is broken down without walls. It makes you defenseless. In other words, everything that comes at you, you only know how to respond one way, and that is to blow up. If that's to blow up in extreme anger or extreme excitement or whatever else, you have no control or temperature because your wall is taken away. Uh, engage in ongoing enhancement of personal skills and exemplify 
good character. So guys, um, and so this is the men talking point right here. What skills, personality traits, or whatever else do you want to sharpen as a father or as a husband? I will go first. I over and hope over this next year want to grow in, in uh, patience, okay? In patience and then understanding. Be more willing to understand where my wife is coming from and say, okay, I, I see where you're coming from. That's very, very true. And I will say this too. There's a couple of guys in here that I look to you as you being good examples of this. I think you exemplify good patience and understanding. And I'm too much like, all right, let's get this done. You know, so I know in certain areas I need to slow down. That temperament doesn't always work with my wife and with my family. So I need to slow down. I need to be more understanding and less, uh, less pushing or dominant in certain areas. That's what I want to work on. And what I need to get better on, and again, I appreciate some of you that are uh, examples to me in that. So what skills do you want to sharpen, do you believe, in yourself as a father or as a husband? Since we're throwing it all out there, right? Mike? I want to be better at listening, okay. honestly. Because okay. I'll notice sometimes a lot of my kids say, you know, what you do today at school or whatever. And it seems like it's so easy to get about halfway through their story, and because it's not significant to you because you're an adult, you zone out on something else you have going on before you know it, you're at the end of the story and they're waiting for your response. So, you know, I, I need to be <laughs> nah, That's good. That's a really good one. That's true. Yes, sir. Uh, for me, I think uh, more nurturing. Um, I have a really, really rough upbringing uh, as a child. And uh, I've done a lot of self-nurture, so I don't look for outside praise or outside, you know, someone to hold me and tell me things are going to be okay. I just know it's going to be and so with my kids and my wife, I, I think I need to, I don't think I know I need to be more nurturing, more understanding, like okay. hold them a little bit and all that good fuzzy stuff. Amen. <laughs> all right, that's good. Good stuff. Tim. Um, when I was growing up, my dad tried to teach me how to pick cars, and I didn't listen to him. Um, so I don't know how to fix cars or anything like that. But now that I have a son, you know, I want to try to learn how to do that, you know, so that I can teach him how to do it so that he can be self-reliant. Sure. You know, um, and so that's one thing I like to do. That's good. Saves a lot of money, too. That's good. That's yeah. practical. like mm -hmm. that. Anybody else? Good stuff. Hannah, I thought you were ready to raise your hand. I was like, no, you're not a guy. <laughs> Sorry. Tricked <laughs> me there. <laughs> good, good. Good stuff. Good stuff. Anybody else? Okay. Yes, Brandon. I'd say just for me to be more encouraging uh, to be real critical of uh, people, things, uh, anything, process, whatever I see. And so just being, especially with my son, more encouraging. Okay. That's good. So... God obviously has given you a, a good um, – if, if you are more critical, that means you're probably a good manager. You see things or whatever. That's a personality that's built into you and God. So just understand that you're, you're not going to change your personality. It's, it's God-given. Uh, but some of those defects of personalities you can curb, right, with, with nurture or with time and listening or whatever else. You're highly productive. You're energetic or whatever. It probably means that you're not a good listener. But you can add those things in uh, when you need to. Um, because obviously God gives us those opportunities. Let's look at this here. Abide by the instruction um, and bylaws contained in the company policy manual. What is that? That is obviously the Bible. Let's move on to the second one here. Uh, a good father must be a minister. A minister. What is this? This is ministering. What this means is this is fulfilling or meeting somebody's need. Now, 
If you have a, how many of you in your house, you have a both girl and a boy? You have split genders in your house. Okay, good. All right. What, are those needs different in any way? What you need to be to each of those people? It absolutely is. Okay. So as a minister, you need to know, be able to be good at fulfilling both the needs of your wife and the need of a rambunctious son and maybe a delicate daughter or whatever the fact is, uh, you need to be able to minister to meet those needs. Here's what this looks like. Number one, the most important thing is giving them spiritual guidance. We gave you three tips last week about how to be a better spiritual father. Number one was just to pray with your family, right? And number two is to check the spiritual temperature, right? And to keep them in church and know things about them and stuff like that. But here's a couple more that you can just practically take that I believe I included. Yes, good. Um, how do we meet spiritual needs? Number one, you personally walk with God. You make sure for yourself that you're in the Bible, right? You can't help put on someone else's oxygen mask if you don't first have yours on securely with, uh, with the air flowing there. Number two, pray for your children. I talked last week, two weeks ago, about my dad praying over us as kids, and it meant a lot growing up. Something I want to pass on. Three, have family devotions. Be leading them in something. You could do this, again, around the dinner table. Hey, let's read this verse. What do you think this verse means? Maybe you even take the verses out of here or the verses the pastor talks about. I don't care. Uh, but just be leading your kids in some spiritual exercises that are good for the family. Amen. Go to church. Take them to church and then serve God together as a family. Uh, next, be right here. Spending time together. Spending time together. When you, you're ministering to their needs by spending that time together with them. A lot of you, again, you have good hobbies you're into with your kids. Uh, you have things that you do together as family. You do walks, whatever else. A lot of you have spent a lot of money as dads in order to get into a hobby that your son or daughter is into. I commend you. That's great. That's good stuff. You're making connections with them, and that's obviously a blessing. And then number, uh, the letter C right there, training. Training. Um, this is, uh, what is training equal? Training equals time, okay? It equals time. This really separates uh, great fathers from just good dads. If you had a good dad, you could probably say, well, he always met our needs. You know, he took care of us. And, you know, he was a good example. I kind of just learned from him. But you kind of had to just learn from him as he was just out leading, right? He was way off in the distance, but you could catch up to him. He provided for you, never ran out on your mom, things like that. Okay, that's a good father. A, a great and a spiritual dad is someone who takes the time to train up a child, according to this verse right here in Proverbs 22, 6, it says right there, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. So what's God's promise for your time investment? That is, that when they get older, they won't depart from that path that they're supposed to go on. Now, understand this, they might make a detour, but they will come back if we pour the Bible into them. That's important to know because I know a lot of parents that they're struggling, they're fighting with 18, 19, 20, 22-year-olds that are falling away from God. And obviously, they internally feel like a failure. They question things. And maybe there are some things that they could do better because guess what? All of us will say one day that we could have done things better, right? But if you train up a child in the way you should go, according to the Bible, then when he's old, he will not depart from that. He'll get back on course, but that's the way in which he'll walk. If you take that time to invest in them, daddies, if you will wake up on Sunday, make sure your kids are in Sunday school. If you want to be convicted as a father or challenged as a father, go to your kid's teacher and ask to see their attendance record because their attendance record is on you. If they're missing Sunday school, right, they're not yet driving and you probably don't let them walk to church yet. So that's on you. You need to have your kids in church. 
I know, I know, I know, I know. Okay, I know, I know that you know that you know that you know. Let's just do it because we need to be training them and that equals time. And that's a lot of good stuff at church. Last right here, number three, a father must be a good model. A good model. You know the famous quote there underneath and I won't uh, have to tell you this. Oh, you know what? Um, time together. Uh, Mike, I'm glad that you said something like that. Okay, so he's, Mike talked about listening and I, I heard a really crazy stat uh, yesterday. Um, uh, doctor, medical field, literature, and everything. Jamie, you'll find this interesting. It, they said that the number one, when they look at a doctor's accuracy rate in diagnosing a patient, do you know what the number one indicator of doctors who have very high rates of di- correctly diagnosing a patient is this? is the number of words spoken by the patient versus the number of words spoken by the doctor within the first 15 minutes of a visit. So in other words, doctors who actually listen are more accurate in diagnosing that need. Wow, that's amazing. A lot of times, in their own little way, our kids are trying to tell us something. Either they're trying to tell us, hey, I'm struggling at school, Hey, I'm spiritually drifting from God. Hey, I need this attention here. Hey, I'm having anger issues. They're trying to tell us certain things, but we will not correctly diagnose that unless we are listening. So I'm glad that Mike said that because that's probably something that all of us need to be reminded in because it takes time and sometimes it's annoying and sometimes, yes, their stories are going nowhere. But a lot of times they're trying to tell, what they're doing is they're showing us their heart. See, kids don't know how to lie and cover up a bunch of things or whatever. If you just let them talk, they're just going to talk out their heart. And anybody really will do that. But people need to hear themselves think and they need to be able to talk things out. So listening, fathers be a good model. Dads, I want to ask you this question, internalize this question and think about it. Would you want your son to be just like you? This goes back to our first thing. What, what would you want to change in the next year? So if you could say, if, if God were to come to you and say, hey, Reggie, hey, Ian, hey, Josh, your, your child, your son, Sean, is going to be just like you, would you be okay with that? Or would be like, God, God, you know what? Can we change about two or three things just real quick? If you could give me that piece of paper, I want to just shift a couple of things. Okay. Well, you can shift a couple of things because they're looking to you. And if we're a good model, then obviously we can uh, help our kids to be more of what they should be. Here's a couple of quick ways. Number one, obviously, we said this before, but having a good walk with God. Nothing can replace having a good walk with God. I've said this several times, but when I was 12 years old, I was struggling with my salvation. I didn't know about it. And a lot of kids that grew up in church will will struggle with that, things like that. But I was 12 years old and I, I was embarrassed, obviously, because I grew up in a pastor's home. And I remember I was laying in bed at night. It was a Wednesday night. It was after church. And I, I had I'd been down this for a couple of months. It was like closing in on 11 o'clock. I'm not really sure, but... Um, so finally I was just like, forget this. I'm going to, I'm going to go out. I'm going to try to find my dad and talk to him. I got up, looked down the hall and knew that the, the light was on in the living room. So I was like, all right, I'll try to go out there and talk to him and stuff. And I honestly think since I was so nervous about it, that if I would have went in there and if the TV was on, I probably would just sat down and be like, oh, hey, dad, let me watch this with you. And he would said, all right, go back to bed or whatever else. But when I walked into that living room, he was sitting in his chair and he was reading his Bible. And like, what else am I supposed to do with that? He's like, Hey, what's going on? I was like, nothing just came to get a drink, you know, and what are you supposed to say? So I, I went and sat next to him and I said, dad, I just, I don't know if I'm saved at all. And he didn't judge me. He said, you're a pastor's kid. Of course you're saved. Go back to bed. He took the Bible that he already had open on his lap and he showed me the verses that I had already shown several people. And I accepted Jesus Christ as my savior. 
But I can't tell you how many thousands of times I witnessed my dad reading his Bible, how many thousands of times my dad prayed over us or prayed with us and still continues to do so uh, because he was a good model. And he would tell you, same thing, Tam, that he didn't teach us how to do mechanics. And there's several things, and, I, and I, I'm 34 and I've never caught a fish still. My dad never took me fishing. Uh, but one thing I can say is thousands of times I have seen my dad lead spiritually by his own walk with God. And that means something. And it'll mean something to your kids if you do it and when you do it. So remember to be doing it. Number or B right there, integrity. Integrity. Um, the Bible says right there in Proverbs 23, 26. I know it is funny. Think about that. 34 never caught a fish. Isn't that insane? <laughs> Proverbs 23, 26. It's a blemish on my right. But at this point, it's almost like a badge of honor. Like I, I have to die now not catching a fish. You know, I mean, it's not like I can break this streak. I've, I've done this. I put a lot of time into this, you know, Proverbs 23, 26, my son, give me thine heart and let thine eyes observe my ways. Uh, obviously I'm serving your integrity. And then last year is affection, affection. And look at this. Uh, did I put in the verse from, I did. Kids would trade this all day long. Look at that verse right there. Proverbs 15, 17, better is a dinner of herbs, which means, Hey, you're poor. Okay. You're poor, but it says love is there with. So you might be a poor family, but you're rich in love over rich in money but poor in love if you have a choice between those two and you often do uh take the affection oh there's some ideas for times together you get a meal together your family nights you can attend church you can serve god you can spend time with each child each week which i know several of you have talked about again i think we have great fathers in here and um if there's anything that you want to tweak and all of us do just make the determination determine before god okay god here's a couple of things i want to change and uh, heading into the new year, if you do New Year's resolutions, that's great. If you don't, then hey, start right now then, all right? Why even wait for January 1st? Um, we are dismissed. If you need to...